Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. So, he texted me yesterday and said, are you good with... uh, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 17 through 19, which you need to turn there. And uh, I was with Eddie. Uh, It was all I could do to keep from going, oh, it's chapter 11? (laughs) Are you good with chapter 10? Um, So Hebrews 11, verse 13, because I need a little run up into it. Everyone say, there's something bigger going on. I want to preach this morning on the topic, there's something bigger going on. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Everyone say, not having received the things promised. Now, the these all that it's talking to includes Abraham. All right, I want us to settle on that. So Abraham, who was preached about last week, was talked about today, is included in this group that had not received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, everyone say, he who had received the promises, So he is both of those who have not received the promises and he who has received the promises. And that's not a contradiction. There are promises that he had received at this point, mainly Isaac. And there are promises that he had not received, which is what we need to talk about. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So let's start with a little context. And since the book of Hebrews is basically one long run-on sentence, then the context of the book of anything in the book of Hebrews is the book of Hebrews. And uh, 35 years ago when I was a young pastor, Trent Cummings uh, taught me, we were doing a Bible study, he taught me that the book of Hebrews is the book of better things because it continually compares things with better things. For instance, in chapter 1 when it's comparing Christ God the Son and angels. And it says that he's better. Of the angels, it said, he says, who makes his angel spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, In the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they'll be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels did he ever say, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all just ministering spirits? doesn't say just, but in comparison to him, they're just that. Now, I understand if we saw an angel today, Every man in here would freak and hit the ground as a dead man. Every woman would have questions. 
because that's what happened in the Bible. The men fall over as dead. The women have questions when an angel shows up. <laughs> we are consistent. Amen. <laughs> I'll fall over and hit the ground, but only after I get my questions answered. <laughs> Hello. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? And then in chapter 2, he begins to talk about this great salvation presented to us through the Lord and his messengers that is greater than the word that was spoken through angels. And uh, so he said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And then in chapter 3, we're told that Christ is better than Moses, since the one who built the house is greater than the house. And, and in chapter 3, the author, whoever it is, begins to sort of hint and introduce this topic of the idea of how important it is for us to persevere to the end. And he, and he, starts, to, he starts to work that into the conversation. He says, Beware, beloved, uh, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called a day, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, and so we start to see this, that there's, there's an endurance, everyone say endurance, in this. And then in chapter 4, he tells us that the secret to holding fast is to understand rest, everyone say rest, which he defines as us ceasing from our own works, as God did from his. And he says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he that has entered his rest has ceased from his own works as God did from his. And so he exhorts us to do that and to be looking to the, the quick and powerful word of God, which, which d discerns between the, the, the soul and the spirit and, and the very intents of the heart. And said so we're to look at that and trust in that and, and be confident in the fact that nothing is hidden from the sight of the God with whom we have to do. Everything, every deep motive, everything that is in our hearts, everything we've ever done, everything we've ever thought, nothing is left hidden to him. He knows it all. He knows he has considered, and then see some of you going, oh, no, 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 this is great, because what this means is he has already considered about you everything there is to consider, every thought, every emotion, every action, everything past, present, and future, and in light of that perfect knowledge, he still called you to himself and so what he's saying is because of that let us therefore boldly approach the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need and then in chapter 5 he tells us the reason that that's even possible the reason we can do that is because of a new priesthood that is after the order of Melchizedek who of course is the priest that met Abraham who's the subject of today's study when he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and then in chapter 6, he says, because of the greatness of this priesthood, it is absolutely inexcusable that you would ever walk away from him. And as a matter of fact, it will not be excused. Because he says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to him open shame. And so then he goes into chapter 7 and he talks about this priest lives forever. And because he lives forever, he's able to save us to the uttermost since he ever lives to make intercession for us. So there's no reason for us to ever quit on him because he will not quit on us. Amen. And in chapter 8, he begins to educate us that none of this is random, but that this priest is the mediator of a new covenant built on better promises. For if the old covenant had been faultless, no place would have been sought for another. Because finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, while I make a new covenant with them. And this is the covenant I'll make with them. I will write my laws in their mind and in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then he goes into chapter 9, and he surprises the readers of that day by declaring that this better priest was at the same time the better sacrifice. And unlike the sacrifices in the old covenant, which could never give any kind of assurance or confidence before God, 
because they were concerned only with food and drinks and various washings and, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. Christ came as the high priest of good things to come having the, the, the greater and more ter- perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats, this is, this is actually my favorite verse in the Bible, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God. So you see the whole God in there. Cleanse your conscience from dead works so that you may serve the living God. Amen? And so then he, he brings it into chapter 10 with kind of a crescendo of glory and faith and truth and tells us that by the offering of Himself, He has perfected. He has already perfected forever those who for all practical purposes from our vantage point appear to be still being sanctified. But from his vantage point, they are perfected. And he concludes that he has written his laws in our minds and in our hearts so that there is no longer even a need for a sacrifice for sin. And therefore, if there's not a need for that, Because of all that Christ has done for us, it is only reasonable that we do what He told us to do in chapter 4. So He repeats it with detail. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He has consecrated for us, through the veil, that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And with that, he suddenly kind of shifts. It's like a a realization came upon him, a concern that some of you might get the wrong idea because of everything that God has done here and the greatness of what He's accomplished for us that you might get the idea that because of that, everything's going to be easy and deliverance is always going to be just right around the corner. Hello. So he begins to warn about the dangers of not enduring. And so what he presented to us previously as a great truth and a tremendous revelation that no sacrifice for sin is now necessary is also a great problem because it means that no sacrifice for sin outside of Christ is available. Are you hearing? And without a sacrifice, it would be a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So in light of that, he tells them, what I need you to do is remember how you got started. Remember how you were first illuminated and believe God for endurance. And do not cast away your confidence. For as Habakkuk declares and Paul uh, echoed in Romans and Galatians and the great revelation that ignited both Augustine and Martin Luther, the just shall live by faith. But then he warns us, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then, not to leave us there, with hope and confidence, he says, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, who who draw back to doom, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. And then like any good preacher... He's going to give us examples of those who did not draw back, but who believed to the saving of the soul. Those who endured, who who finished their race and finished it well. And that's what Hebrews 11 is. But he's going to do it a little different than modern preachers. Most 21st century Pentecostal and charismatic preachers, for the most part, would give you 15 or 20 stories about themselves right here. And how they 
accomplish this. And of course, it wasn't me but God. But He doesn't do that. He's going to give us 15 or 20 stories, and they're all going to be about somebody else. He's so disinterested in Himself. He never makes Himself the hero of the story. He's so disinterested in Himself that we don't even know who He is. Apparently, the recipients of the letter knew who He was, when you look at the last chapter, but, they, but we don't know who he is. So, but he draws his examples from the annals of redemptive history. He starts with Abel, who finished well, if somewhat abruptly. Amen. And the, and the Hebrews would have known that Cain also had every opportunity to finish well, but rejected it. He said, if you do well, you'll be accepted. And if not, sin crouches at the door. No one ever finished any better than Enoch did. He literally walked through the door between heaven and earth one day. Just, just open it up and, and walk through it. Noah, enduring through however long it took to build that ark. One thing we do know, it was decades between the command to do it and the time they got on it. And during all that time, he moved with godly fear, the Scripture says. And... Uh, Moving past Abraham for a moment to previews of later verses, Isaac will look toward things to come and bless Jacob and Esau. Jacob, faithful to the end, will bless the sons of Joseph. Joseph, having endured slavery and prison, gives instructions concerning the promises of God. Moses, who is the Old Testament gold standard of faith, endures as seeing him who is invisible. And then the time constraints kick in like with any sermon, written or oral, and he summarizes, beginning in verse 32, what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. I'm sorry, I've, I've preached out of these verses out of the New King James for, for almost four decades, ever since it first came out in 1983, and I'm trying to preach out of the ESV, and sometimes I'm reading it, but I'm seeing something completely different. They quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept deliverance so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, everyone say all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And the thing that is noteworthy about these examples is that it had nothing to do with results. This is not a list of successes in life. This is not how to have your best life now. All right? Abel was murdered for giving God his offering by faith. Joseph was imprisoned for standing for righteousness and refusing to have sex with Potiphar's wife. Moses was exiled for choosing the people of God. Some of these won great victories. They... They subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness and obtained promises and, and became valiant in battle and routed foreign armies. But some of them were tortured, mocked, flogged, imprisoned, stoned, sawed in two, killed with the sword, which is apparently different. That's one of those things we'll find out someday. Destitute, afflicted, and mistreated by faith. By faith, destitute. By faith, afflicted. There's something that we need to look at here. In the Lord's Prayer, uh, in, in the, the Matthew rendition of it, <clears throat> the Bible, in some translations, says, deliver us from evil. And in some translations, says, deliver us from the evil one. And so it's interesting. So I'm, I'm in school, and... And actually, one of my teachers is actually part of the team that translated the ESV. But he's talking about this, and he's actually contending with the ESV because those things were kind of voted on. 
So apparently he didn't get his way, so he, 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 brought, he, brought, it, he brought it to our attention. And uh, what is the proper rendering in the Lord's Prayer of deliver us from evil versus deliver us from the evil one? And the, and, uh, the issue is an adjective, poneru there, which means evil. And in the Greek, just like in the English, an adjective can either be attributive or substantival. And one of the ways you tell is if it has an article with it, a definite article, which in the Greek that's the only kind of article it is, but there's 24 of them. All right? And uh, this one has the article with it, which means that it's substantival, which means that it replaces a noun. It doesn't give attributes to a noun. It doesn't modify a noun. It replaces a noun. And, and, uh, and the bottom line is that the accurate, what he's telling us is the accurate rendering of this in the Lord's Prayer is deliver us from the evil one, specifically meaning Satan. And say, well, what, what difference does it make? What difference it makes is God is not always going to deliver you from evil. He will not always deliver you from the slander of your enemies. You might lose your home. Hello? You might have problems in your marriage. Your car might break down. Hello? Eddie and I, yesterday we went... Drove by a car that was broke down, came back that night, it still broke down on the side of the road. We were just giving God thanks that right now it's not us. <laughs> I, I literally, we came by, I said, God, I thank you that today I'm in a car that's not broke down on the side of the road that hasn't been there all day and I didn't have the money to even have it towed because I've been there. Amen. <laughs> but that might happen. It got will not necessarily deliver you from abuse from those who should nurture you or from losing your job because of your Christian testimony. Those things might well happen in your life, but let me tell you one thing for sure. God will deliver you from the evil one if you ask Him. You might get slain with a sword, but you still get delivered. Hello. You might escape the edge of the sword. Hallelujah. You might get slain by it. Hallelujah. But you're still delivered from the power of the evil one. And so we come to Abraham, and we would expect to see his endurance displayed in his life. And not only see the endurance, but maybe get a look under the hood since he is called the father of our faith. Romans chapter 4, verse 16 says, This is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the inheritor of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Not only of those that are under the law, but those that walk in the steps of the faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So we have already seen his faith on display. It was preached last week. By faith he obeyed and went out, not knowing where he was going. Which means he wasn't looking where he was going. Hello. I mean, we know Abraham was charismatic. He went out not knowing where he was going. He was looking at something else, which is really important, because whatever you're looking at will become really clear to you. Are you hearing? And so he was looking at something else, and it was one thing to leave his country in his father's house. That was a big enough deal for Abraham, because we get a picture of his personality in the many chapters we have of him in the Bible. And he was a family guy. And so that was a big deal to him. But it was going to be 25 years between the promise, get up, get out, and I'll bless you, and the blessing. 25 years are going to go by. That's a long time. All right? And so that's why verses like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 are so powerful. It says, therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary. Everyone say temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal, or not temporary so Paul tells us that Abraham believed God who called those things that do not exist as though they did 
and that he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And, and, and right there, I think, is the secret sauce to all this that we'll come back to in a moment. And so we come to our verse, and it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And said, He that had received the promises. So, yes, there were promises he, is, he had received. There's promises he had not received that he was still looking to. But one of the promises he received, God's now asking for. And so let's look at when that promise was made, or when, that, that, when this faith test was done, and then we'll look when the promise was made. If you turn to Genesis chapter 22, this is the story of what is talked about in verse 17 through 19 of Hebrews 11. It says, After these things God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac. I want to make sure you know which one I'm talking about. I'll try to weasel out of this with Ishmael at this point. Right? Whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Everyone say early in the morning saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Say, come again to you. Some translations make that clear. The New King James says, And we will come again to you everyone say we will come we will go and worship and we will come again to you are you here <clears throat> and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son and he took his hand in his hand the fire and the knife so they went both of them together and Isaac said to his father Abraham my father and he said here I am my son and he said there's something missing Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. And went both of them together. When he came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. He reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. So let's, let's break this down. To be sure, he said, be sure, I'm, I'm asking for Isaac. And so the question then is, who is Isaac? And, and what I mean by that question is, who is Isaac as per God? What has God said about Isaac? And the reason that's important, beloved, is because in every faith test, that is the critical issue, and really the only issue, what has God said? A test of faith is a test of what God has said and do you believe it? Or does it even matter what God said? Because if you don't believe that God tells the truth, then it doesn't even matter what He said. But if you believe that He tells the truth, then that's what the test is about. What has God said and do you believe it? So let's look at where God said, which is in Genesis 17, beginning verse 18. And God has just told Abraham that Sarah's going to have a son. And Abraham comes back with, hey, I'm, I'm good with Ishmael. Hello. He's, he's trying to tell God, no, we're good. We'll just go with what we've got. And God says, no. Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And so he's been real specific. No, it's not about just having a son. 
All right? So you got to understand that. This is it's not about just having a son. Because the way this always gets preached is, Abraham knew God could give him another son. No, he already had another son. Abraham went and was willing to offer Isaac because he knew God. Usually you, you work up some tears and preach it that way. He knew God could give him another son. And as he walked up the mountain, it was like the slow tolling of a bell. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what he said at all. He said, we're going to go worship and we're going to come back down. Right? And, and, oh, he could give him another son. He already had another son. But God said, no, 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 no. We're, we're talking about a specific son. This is a specific son. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant. So he's going to have a covenant. And for his offspring after him. Everyone say offspring. So, he's got, so God said, everyone say God said. God said he'll have a covenant and he'll have offspring. Does Isaac have offspring yet? No. He's, he doesn't have offspring. He's just a teenager. As they go up, up the mountain. I, I, I want to ask them about that someday. Because I think he was big enough to overpower the old man. So he had to, he had to buy into this. Right? I mean, there was some trust on his part, and that's why I think he got in Hebrews 11. Because really, when you look at all the great things everybody did in Hebrews 11 to get in there, and then you look at, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. It's like, eh, that's not that big a deal. He probably got in because God owed him one because of the whole sacrifice thing. Oh. But he said, I will establish my covenant with him as offspring. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I'll make him into a great nation. But I'll establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So there was another son, but the point here is God was saying not for these purposes. For these purposes, for the purposes of this covenant, you only have one son. And it's very specific who I'm talking about. And so... If, if, if I had just said, hey, offer your son, you would have went and found Ishmael. But it was clear then that this was a specific son, and, and he said, I'm, I'm making it clear now. That's what I'm asking for. But what had God said? He will have a covenant and an offspring. So, so Abraham's conclusion, everyone say conclusion. He concluded after considering God can raise him from the dead. So we will go worship and we will return to you again. And so, but then here's this little statement God says, So now I know you fear God, which we understand God wasn't going, Now I know. I didn't know, but now I know. We don't believe in open theism. He knew, but what he's really saying is, Now you know that I know. That you fear God. It's just like, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. I mean, Adam's the only one stupid enough to think he could get behind a tree and God wouldn't find him. All right? So God's playing along. All right? Where are you? What have you done? He, he already knew it. All right? Who did it? So... But he does say to him, this is, now I know you fear God. You've not withheld your son, your only son from me. And so it sounds like yeah, there was some doubt in Abraham's heart. And I want to say to you, there absolutely was. And this is the crucible of faith. It's like the man saying to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Listen to me. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Now, I, I said that one day, and somebody said, what, what, what about James? James said, ask in faith with no doubt. I said, no, that's not what James said. James said, ask in faith without doubting. The, the word there in the Greek is diakrino, which means to separate, to sever, to make a distinction, to oppose, and thus to hesitate. But the key is, it's not a noun, it's a verb. So he did not say, do not 
have doubt a noun. He said, do not doubt a verb. Do not actively engage it and do, do not do doubting. Are you hearing? When you're in the crucible of faith and you have faith, but you also have doubt, and you do. And it, even though he had concluded that God can raise him from the dead because he said he's going to... It is also true that as he went up that mountain, he's thinking, I might just be nuts. And if I am, there's no way I can ever go back home because that woman <laughs> will get me when I get home. I wonder if he even told her where he was going. And so he said, do not do doubting. Do not. And, and look, look what the word means here. To sever, to separate. And so uh, what it is, is, is he, it's, it means you sever and you separate what God has said what is unseen from what is seen, and you're looking at what is seen, you're looking at the circumstances, and you're letting that determine what you're going to do, and you've completely severed what thus saith the Lord from the equation. And then you justify it like this. You go, well, you know, He gave us common sense. And you sound like the ten spies. Because see, the result was, and what James was saying was fatal, was that it caused you to hesitate. Everyone say hesitate. Everyone say, Abraham got up early in the morning, the very next morning, and went to the mountain. He didn't hesitate. So while he was dealing with his doubt, he's on the way to the mountain with his wood and his fire. Hello? Hello? But they severed, why? They severed, those ten spies severed the promise of God which says, I'm going to give you this land. They cut it off. And they said, it's just common sense. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And, and tell me what you mean by common sense. Because everybody that says, oh no, brother, common sense is a thing. Okay, let me ask you a question. And, and I've never had anybody tell me otherwise. Common sense, does, does that include unbelievers? Is that something only Christians have? And everybody else says, no, no, by common sense, everybody has it. Okay, so you're telling me that unsaved people dead in their trespasses and sins with no ability to hear the voice of God or to have faith at all or to discern anything spiritual, what they think about something is the same as what you think about it. And that's Okay. My wife will enthusiastically tell you that I don't believe in common sense. <laughs> no, but seriously, I don't, I don't think that's how you find the mind of Christ. Is, oh, well, it just makes common sense. We couldn't, we couldn't overcome them. But it said that he considered, he considered this, and that's the word logizomai in the Greek, which means to infer or to conclude infer or conclude which basically what it's saying he went through an if and and then process if God said it and God always tells the truth then I'm coming down the mountain with my boy it was inferred from the promise when those spies went into the Holy Land, it was inferred from the promise that those giants were bred for them and that they could take the land, was it not? And so Joshua and Caleb said, let's not hesitate. Let's go up at once, for we're well able. But everybody else hesitated because they cut off the promise from the circumstance and used their common sense. not what Abraham did so he considered that if God tells the truth therefore 
whatever happens in the next couple of days is not the end. But this thing is not unto, everyone say unto, the death of Isaac. It is unto something greater. Say there's something greater going on. What is this unto? Because this is where the crucible is. Because, beloved, there's always something bigger going on. Listen, whatever is going on in your life, I need to tell you this morning, the thing that is happening right now is not the thing. There's something bigger going on. As the, the sister shared this morning. Because he, he could got to looking at the child and the thing and believing for the child to come. But there was something bigger going on that he needed to be looking at. One day someone came to Jesus the healer. And, and the, Jesus the healer who healed everybody. He healed people who were not his friends. He healed people who didn't even like him. He healed people that would eventually yell, crucify him. And he knew it. And they came to him and they said, one of your really good friends, who you really like and who really likes you, is very sick. Hello. And in John eleven forty, 40, when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death. Everyone say unto death. It's not unto that, but for the glory of God. Everyone say, for the glory of God. Because He just gave you a glimpse of what it's unto. That the Son of God may be glorified through it. And yet, His friend died. And so, if you're looking at things which are seen, it appears to me that this sickness was unto death. And death is pretty serious. How many of you know that? Death is, we have a saying, you know, in our culture, death is final. Death is final. And, and we say things like, you know, there's only two sure things in life, death and taxes. Alright? So death is final and death is certain. But I would submit to you that death and every other thing that you can see is not final. Death is temporary. And I would say to you this morning that every trial that you go through, every problem that you have, every crucible you find yourself in, is temporary. Everyone say it came to pass. I love that in the Bible it'll say, and it came to pass. And one day I'm reading that and it jumped off the page at me. It came to pass. Hello. Our pastor's wife in Tulsa used to say, I'll be glad when we can laugh about this one. Something really bad would happen and she would say, well, I'll be glad when we can laugh about this one. And she was serious because she would. Sooner than most folks. And so it came to pass. Whatever you're in, whatever's going on, beloved, it will pass. It's not the end. Paul calls them light afflictions which are but for a moment. Yeah, but it's been going on for months. Well, Paul lists his, he says, in needs and distresses, in stripes and imprisonments and tumults, in sleeplessness, in stripes above measure, that's the times he was illegally beaten more than was allowed, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So he's saying at least those times it was legal. Leave it to a doctor of the Torah to make a distinction. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. That puzzles me. I would find another way to get there. A night and a day I've been in the deep, in perils of waters, in perils of... I mean, I can't even watch a movie where they're treading water in the ocean and sharks and stuff. I don't even watch those movies. It freaks me out. Perils of the Gentiles, perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea. He rolls around back to that, so it bothered him too. In perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, he throws that in there, in cold and nakedness. And this is what he calls light. And they lasted for at least 26 years. And he says, just for a moment. So, so if you call that light and, and temporary, how, how can you? How can you call that light and momentary? You would have to be comparing it 
to something else. Are you hearing? So you're looking at something else. You're looking at unseen things. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Everyone say, looking at the unto. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4, We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Everyone say, to the glory of God. Say, unto the glory of God. This sickness is not unto death, but unto the glory of God. Are you hearing? So there's something unseen that is eternal, and it's the glory of God. It's the akarit, it's the final end. There's something bigger going on. It's clearly shown in our opening verses. They saw the promises, the ones they hadn't received, afar off. They embraced them. They confessed that they didn't belong here and they, they were looking for something else. In verse 8 of chapter 11, it, 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 it talks about by faith he, he, he went out not knowing where he was going and he, he went and lived in the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise for he's looking forward to the city. Everyone say city. Yeah, the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He's looking for a, a city. And he said uh, they, they, they could have had opportunity to return because they left a perfectly good city in Haran. But they were looking for something better. And this is, this is talked about a lot, particularly in the book of Hebrews. It says, here we have no lasting city in Hebrews 13, verse 14, but we seek the city that is to come. And that's what we're to look at in some kind of way. Colossians 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And Hebrews 12 says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And then Hebrews chapter 12, coming out of our passage, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinner such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So look at all the things. Look to the city. Look to the heavenly Jerusalem. There's things in a city. There's armies in cities. You've got one and an innumerable company of angels. There's people in cities. You've got one, a, a great cloud of witnesses. Listen, some of the times our problem is our peer groups. And we make bad choices because we're thinking about the people around us and what they think. You need to look to the city of God. You need to look to the heavenly Jerusalem. You need to look to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. You need to look to the great cloud of witnesses. You need to remember that you're going to sit down someday and eat dinner with Jeremiah and you need to have something good to talk about. Amen? Not, hey, I blew up and walked away for 40 years because I didn't like the color of the carpet. I walked out for 30 years because we got in a fight in Sunday school. I walked away from God because my wife left me. You know, you want to have a conversation with him that says, you know what, praise God, what you wrote encouraged me, and I want you to know I took it, and I walked out faithfully to God. Having obtained help from God to this day, I continue. Amen? You need to look to God the Father, 
that, and, and Jesus the mediator and the blood of the covenant, the king himself, cities have kings, and the king himself looking unto Jesus. And he said, consider all of this and draw an inference from it. Draw an inference from it. You have a city that's populated by saints that were once like you. Witnesses that were once like you. That are Some of them are detailed for us in Hebrews 11. You have a city that's populated by saints and angels in festal gathering. And God the Father and Jesus the mediator of the covenant and the blood of the covenant of sprinkling. You have a king. Infer something from that, beloved. That whatever is going on in your life, it's not unto that. It's unto the glory of God. Listen, even heaven is not about you. It's about the glory of God. Hello. Hello. What you look at will become really clear to you. And Abraham looked at something bigger. Zach, could you come and join me? There was something bigger going on than his son. And and so you know what? He needed, though he he was settled on, no, God tells the truth. Again, he was not doubting. He was not disconnecting the, the, the promise from the circumstance and hesitating. That didn't mean that doubt wasn't there. Because he said, I, I, I see that you fear God because you did not withhold your son. But he's going through all that. There had to be something bigger going on, which is this. If, if by some reason I'm wrong about this, there's something bigger going on. It's the glory of God. And God revealed it to him. He concluded, he saw it in a figurative sense. And, and on this one, I, I really don't like the ESV's translation of it. Other translations, uh, I think, paint a better picture. Jesus made this statement about Abraham. He said, your, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. And, and by my day, he wasn't just mean, hey, he saw me. No, he was specifically talking about the day of his victory, the day of his triumph, which is the day of his resurrection. He saw. He, that's the figurative sense. That's that he received in a figure. He received his son raised in a figure by seeing, by prophetic vision, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And one of the hints that we have of that, how many know what happened around Jerusalem when Jesus came out of the grave? All kinds of Old Testament saints come out of the grave too and ran around, I guess, ran around town for 40 days. We're not, we're not sure how long they ran, but, but we know they ran around town. I'm not even sure how they knew they were the Old Testament saints. Hello. Hopefully they had skin on and everything. Not skeletons running around, but I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. Those are, I have questions when I get to heaven. How did you know? That was Jeremiah. How did you know? That was Isaiah. Well, he was cut in two. (laughs) I don't know. But he saw that. And, And I think we forget how long he lived. You know, he lived until Jacob was 15 years old, which means that he was telling Jacob stuff firsthand. Jacob was Joseph's father. He would have relayed that. Here's the mercy of God and the blessing of God. And so it says, By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. Because if you read, during the years, they were not in slavery at first in Egypt. And when, the, when his brothers died, they took them all back to, to uh, the Holy Land, the Promised Land, to Canaan, and buried them there. But he, Joseph knew they weren't going to be able to bury him there. He's a leader in Egypt. They're going to build a pyramid. They're going to put him in it. But he said, the Lord will visit you and bring you out. And don't leave my body in Egypt. You take my body with you. Why is that? I believe, beloved, is because he knew. The only thing he knew about the resurrection was when he 
when he rises, people are going to rise around there. He didn't know they were going to ever rise anywhere else. Didn't know anything about the resurrection at the end of the age. All he knew was his body needed to be there. Hello. By faith, he, he, he sees this ram caught in a thicket. All of this is to the glory of God. There was something bigger going on than Isaac being offered as a sacrifice. What was going on was Jesus was going to be offered as a sacrifice. And this was the picture. Covenant power and faith. Psalm 84, blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Let's stand. Come join me in the front, please. There's something bigger going on. Say that with me. Say there's something bigger going on. Whatever you're going through, that's not the end. That's not the unto. This thing is not unto your demise. This thing is not unto your failure. Do not do doubting. Not separate the promise of God and what God has said from the circumstance. What has God said about you? Either by the scripture or maybe by prophetic word. And I want to assure you that whatever he said in the scripture is more important. I've never gotten a prophetic word. Sure you have. You've got a whole book of them. What has God said about you? Infer something from that. Whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Past tense. What has God said about you? He said, you're perfected, glorified done, finished from the foundation of the world. Your name is written in the book of life, not on March 2nd, 1980. No, it was written in the foundation of the world. What has God said? What do you infer from that? What do you conclude from that? I conclude that this thing that I'm in is not unto this. There's something bigger going on. Say this with me. I don't belong here. Nothing that is here has my heart. I'm looking for a city in a better country whose builder and maker is God. My heart is set on pilgrimage. Whatever is going on, there's something bigger going on. It isn't about this. This isn't final. Nothing is final. Death isn't final. It came to pass. Death came to pass. Only Jesus is final. The cross is final. Death is swallowed up in victory. For a day in His courts is better than a thousand. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. I'm looking unto Jesus. Tell Abel I'm on my way. Tell Enoch I'll be there soon. Tell Noah I will ride above the flood. 
Tell Abraham I'm in his steps. Tell Moses I'm looking to the reward. Tell the general assembly and church of the firstborn I will run with endurance having obtained help from God. To this day I continue. I will continue. There's something bigger going on. And I'm going with it. To God be the glory. Great things He has done. Amen. Lift up your hands. Let's, let's seek God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.